0: Man, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode, wait for it, 311. What's that correspond to? Anyone know? Uh, Anyhow, Jason Lingren is with me, and Mr. David Avocado Wolf is back. Uh, For those who don't know, we grew up in a similar part of the world. Uh, He's been on, I don't know, a couple times. I've lost track. I've been on his end. He's been on my end, so we've done this a few times, suffice it to say. Anyhow, we are going to cover the magical world of mushrooms, But we will not be centering, per se, on magic mushrooms, though they'll probably come up in the conversation. Uh, We're going to center in on medicinal mushrooms. And of all the things that grow in our world, I challenge you to find a more interesting, bizarre, and astounding thing than mushrooms. Anyhow, welcome, Jason.
1: And a beautiful afternoon it is.
0: It is. Feels like we're finally in spring, but I should keep my mouth shut or I'll wake up to snow tomorrow.
1: That does happen.
0: (laughs) It does. It it has happened in April. It's very disheartening for a California boy to wake up to snow in April. But anyhow, we're ready to do this. Oh, yeah. Mr. David
1: Avocado Wolf. Welcome aboard. Thanks so much, guys. I'm excited about the show. And this is very pertinent and useful information. So for everybody listening, whether you're an advanced student or a beginner, we're going to cover it all.
0: Awesome. Uh Every time I start looking at mushrooms, I learn some new amazing thing where I've got to step back and go, wait a minute, is this even possible? These things can eat oil and then you can eat them and they're not toxic, all kinds of things you find out about mushrooms. But uh, where do we start here in the world? Let Let me start with a question. Is it true that, God, what is it? Most mushrooms grow on trees and that of
1: those, none of them are poisonous. Great question. Well, most mushrooms actually grow out of the earth. They grow out of soil. But of the tree mushrooms, every single one of them is medicinal, with a few exceptions. Of the polypores, the great allies of humankind, which we'll get into, reishi, chaga, tramedes, uh grifola, all the great super herbs, I would say. We're going to get into what that means. They are all non-toxic growing on trees. And if we can eat them when they're young, very edible. Of the ground mushrooms, you're going to have to become a mushroom expert. You're going to have to really work at identification. The couple of exceptions to tree mushrooms that are not medicinal mushrooms, one of them is a polypore that grows in Australia. It's a yellow one. It's the only toxic polypore in the world. Again, polypores, I'll mention this again and again, are great allies of humankind And then there's deadly gallerinas and deadly gallerinas do grow on very decomposed wood in places like New England and places like Eastern Canada. And so if you're looking at it, you're like, I don't know about that one. It's kind of the woods too decomposed, And it has the umbrella image that you think of when you think of a, a mushroom. I would skip that one if you can't positively ID it as a medicinal mushroom. It could be a deadly gallerina. Those are the big exceptions.
0: So we should do our due diligence. From what I understand, there are way more non-poisonous than poisonous. You can correct me if that's not right. But let's say the same thing we say about sun gazing. If you don't know about sun gazing, don't go out, stare at the sun. You don't give a baby a jalapeno. If you don't know about mushrooms, you don't wander out into nature and start eating mushrooms that you know nothing about. Uh, in almost every place I have ever lived, there is a mushroom community that will take you out and teach you what you need to know in your area. so there it is don't don't be a jackass. be safe about this there are there is such a thing as poisonous mushrooms but uh, am am I right in asserting
1: that the majority of mushrooms are not poisonous? Yeah, I would well definitely if tree mushrooms by far ninety nine point nine percent are not poisonous of ground mushrooms. They vary, and some are subtly poisonous, some are not poisonous at all. Some, in certain circumstances, are poisonous. In other circumstances, same mushrooms, same genetics are poisonous. So it's such a wild west. Like, For example, in Appalachia, we estimate there's 28,000 different types of mushrooms that have not been named and identified. Wow. It's, that's vast.
0: You know, I was recently about the only thing I ever watch or try to watch, although I, I do take care of older people. So I get stuck in front of shitcoms, but is nature shows. And I recently saw a thing, um, I guess I'd seen a long time about these glow in the dark mushrooms, like in the rainforest or something.
1: And I'm thinking, you
0: know what, the guy who made avatar didn't invent anything new.
1: That's right. And there are numerous glow in the dark mushrooms, very interesting ones. We had one growing in Hawaii that had never been identified in Hawaii before. When we finally tracked it down, its origin was Thailand. There was grown in the front yard on our farm in Hawaii. So this is a fascinating area, the glow-in-the-dark mushrooms. But I would generally recommend staying away from glow-in-the-dark mushrooms for edibility. Do not eat glow-in-the-dark mushrooms. <laughs> well, at least there's a sign on them. Well, unless it's daytime. <laughs> All right, where do we jump in here to get the mushroom train rolling down the track? I want to jump into the the great super herbs of the world. And just give a little bit of a background. I love culinary herbs, rosemary, thyme, oregano, marjoram, garlic, onions, those types of things are great culinary herbs. And that's a lot of times what we think about when someone says, Oh, you're into herbalism. Okay. Yeah. Oregano. But there's a whole category, a class, a group of herbs that needs its own designation. We call them the super herbs or tonic herbs. Now, this goes back thousands of years in Taoism and the origins of Chinese medicine in the mountains of China. These herbs are superior herbs. They are tonic herbs. You can take them every day. Of them in the world, there's maybe 70 of them in the world, ideal medicines for humankind. So we could look at herbal systems in the Amazon, we could look at herbal systems in India, we could look at herbal systems in China and North America, and there's always going to be a group of super herbs there. Of those, the dominant group is the medicinal mushrooms, say the 24 of the 70 are medicinal mushrooms and of those the ones that we should start with are the king and the queen which is is chaga mushroom c-h-a-g-a chaga mushroom and reishi mushroom which is the queen and they are truly like the king and the queen on the chessboard they are the key ones and if you have just an understanding of those two you have something you have something to work with and this truly once we begin to dig into the super herbs is the medicine of humankind. It is the, the thing that's been displaced by our medical scientism and the nonsense of the drug concepts and what's gone on with the Rockefeller style medicine. This is where we find the, the mushrooms of immortality, so to speak. You know, the stuff that's going to get you to 100 years old and, and healthy. Right? The stuff that's going to work with your immune system in a dual directional way, not just a way where it's just going to push your immune system up like an echinacea or garlic, which is wonderful. I love those. Those are neither of those are tonic herbs. These are things that bring your immune system down if you're having an overreaction, an autoimmune reaction. That's what reishi does. That's what tramedes does. That's what chaga does. That's what Grifola does. That's what Ladoporus sulfurius does. That's what the medicinal mushrooms and this, again, another group, another, say, 56 or so uh, uh, that are attached on, maybe 46- the astragalus of the world, the um, hishuwu, the ramanius, the great herbs, the cats called the unia de gatos, the arcos, And I could go on about that, but we got to stay focused on the medicinal mushrooms because that's the key class. That's the most important. And again, of those, rishi and chaga, the queen, rishi, the king, chaga. That's where we start.
0: So from my point of view, I'm aware of both of those types. And I have only ever seen them dried. So let's cover that real quick. Is there a difference between having fresh chaga, fresh reishi, or the typically dried mushrooms that most of us see? And the reason I ask is because I'm big into herbs, grow them every year. And you know what I know about herbs? If I have fresh herbs, I will use at least three times the amount in say a spaghetti sauce as I would if it was dried. And it's counterintuitive. You think, oh, that's dried out. It must have lessened potency. It's not true. The flavor and many things concentrate when you dry out those herbs. Same thing going on in mushrooms? Or is there a difference between having a fresh
1: one and a dried one? There is a difference. And the main thing I want to say is something like a chaga mushroom or a ganoderma, which each year grows more of a woody conch, or a foamy spomentarius, which, again, each year kind of grows a little bit. Those mushrooms are woody they are loaded with chitin. They're fibrous. It's like eating wood. So yes, there's a difference. And I love chewing them up fresh, but you really can't get the goodies out because they're so dense with, for lack of a better term, fiber, right? Wood cellulose and chitin and things that hold those those nutrients. And that's why we would make a tea out of them or extract them with alcohol. Now, another strange One in that group is Rishi. That's why it's the queen. It has every move on that chessboard when it's young, which it is young right now, all across North America in regions where the snow has melted, the Rishis have started to grow each year. Rishi grows itself anew. Again, other ones like Ganoderma's or Fomis Fomentarius, slowly, like a bracket mushroom, they grow bigger. Fomatopsis is like that. Slowly, they grow bigger each year. Not Rishi. Rishi will regrow itself each and every year. When it's in its young stage, its medicine is more accessible and delicious and potent. And it's something that, for example, if I was in British Columbia or Washington state right now, I'd be hunting those down on the big hemlock conifers, not to be confused with the hemlock toxic herb that killed Socrates, but the hemlock tree that the great pine tree or conifer tree, it's not a pine, but it's truly a conifer, which grows rishi in the Pacific Northwest. That's where you're going to find it budding out that rishi budding out. And in that stage, you just take a little knife and you take the end off of it off and you can eat it right there on the spot. And wow, is there potency there? So if I'm hearing you correctly, just
0: like herbs, it becomes more concentrated as they dry and more bioavailable. But I got to ask, people probably have no idea. We call mushrooms fungi, which for the most part has nothing to do with them attending a party. Well, maybe the magic sort. But are they a plant? Are they an animal? Is it plant matter? Is it meat? After all, if you go get a mushroom, uh, they'll tell you you're eating mushroom meat. So what is it? Does
1: anyone know what it is? I put them in their own category, the mushrooms. However, by definition, they're an animal. They breathe oxygen, excrete carbon dioxide. Now, the mushrooms do concentrate as they grow, but they become more woody. They become more filled with chitin and difficult material, fibrous material to break down. So therefore, as that mushroom grows, it becomes more useful to extract it. And the traditional way humans have extracted the goodies out of the medicinal mushrooms, especially the polysaccharides, but at very high heat, more the alcohol soluble or fat soluble materials, the terpenes, that was always done with water or very hot water. And that's the traditional way of doing it. With the advent of alcohol, it allows us to get those alcohol soluble fractions, which are really the fat soluble fractions, out easier, which that fraction is, for example, with the great ones like the Ganodermas and the Rishis and the Fomatopsis and the Trimedes and the Chagas, that group right there under alcohol is more fast acting. And so it has very powerful antiviral, anti-tumor, anti-metastatic qualities. And that's one of the reasons why when somebody has an acute situation, I send them to the tinctures of the medicinal mushrooms.
0: So I'm going to ask you one more question before I get Jason in here. And I'm not sure if you'll know the answer because it has an alchemical bent, but as you and I both know, In traditional Chinese medicine, mushrooms play a big, big role, and without knowing anything else than that, I already understand that in the Chinese method, those things are tied to the sky clock, not only for harvest, when they become available, when they're the most usable. I already know this about traditional Chinese medicine and other Asian practices that are similar, but the two varieties, Chaga and Rishi, that you call King and Queen. Do you know that if alchemically they are tied to the idea of sun and moon, alchemically tied to the
1: idea of gold and silver? Absolutely. Now I'm going to tell you something that's just astounding. Maxim Analytics Laboratory in Toronto. We had Rishis and Chagas tested in that lab on numerous varieties from all over the world. Rishi is number one in the world of any substance in silver. Number one.
0: Wow. You're telling me there's
1: silver. I mean. Wow. Yep. So, what that tells us is yes, it has broad um, antimicrobial immunological action. That's what silver has. But for Rishi, of all things, to be highest in the world of, in that was truly an astounding discovery. Now, there was another astounding discovery regarding uh, Chaga. Now, Chaga is highest in the world in potassium, rubidium, and cesium those out they're considered the alkaline earth metals You, you might recall them being over on the left side of the periodic table of the elements cesium being one of the most alkaline substances in the entire periodic table and chaga is highest in the world in those substances by far by far that was another real outlier in fact the scientist ramiz saeed who helped me with that research He actually, it complete, this research completely flipped him around where he was like, what is this? What's going on with this stuff? He had no idea about medicinal mushrooms. He's a lab scientist who studies food. He's been testing all the food that you see on a supermarket shelf his whole career. 30 years in, we start sending him chaga samples and he's like, what the heck is this? Changed his whole life. (laughs) Well, you're kind
0: of blowing my mind. I did not expect you to tell me that the feminine Version of the king and queen had silver in it because, from my work in alchemy, unless it's completely different for mushrooms, which I don't know how it could be, I already know that it's feminine in aspect and polarity, uh, negative in polarity, feminine in aspect, and that its habit would be magnetic if it holds true to everything else we know about plants and animals. And if it's actually an animal, um, then that should be true too. But, Jason, you want to get in on
1: this? Well, I'm curious, is there anything about mushrooms that is consistent across all of them from a nutritional standpoint? For instance, all mushrooms contain this or all mushrooms have that. Excellent question, yes. With medicinal mushrooms, the thing that they all have in common is they're extraordinarily rich in polysaccharides or long-chain sugars. This is one of their main mechanisms of action. In fact, it is the polysaccharide content, which is water-soluble and comes out in tea, especially with the wild mushrooms, that really transforms your immunity permanently. So there is an effect, yes, on day one that you try this stuff. There's even a different effect at day 100 and a very different effect 10 years in because what happens is those polysaccharides are actual nourishment for your white blood cells. Celery is a great nourishment for your bones. Um, Lettuce is great nourishment for your lungs. But the specific on-point nutriment The ingredient that feeds your immune system is polysaccharides, long-chain sugars, and your immune system can cut up different weaponry from that. So for example, a simple polysaccharide we may have heard before is beta-glucans. Beta-glucans is is in Reishi, it's in Chaga, and we know with the research on beta-glucans that it will stimulate the white blood cells to produce as many as seven different immunological weapons that it would normally not produce if it didn't have that nutriment. Wow, it's it's so much to keep
0: track of. Were you going to follow on there, Jason?
1: No, I've just been thinking about that the whole time we've been talking about it. When he was saying about all these different varieties, and I was curious if there's something consistent as far as what mushrooms actually are. Even the magic kind, I'm assuming, have some kind of nutritional content to them as well, right? Yes, and I do want to mention this, and and again, I want to bring it back to reishi and chaga because they're so obviously important. You know, as you get into the research into medicinal mushrooms, these are beyond psychedelic. They're 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 a step beyond it all. They, they bring a feeling of well being. I, I just don't know a better word to, than to say it's it's a step beyond the psychedelic mushroom. It's uh, it, they in traditional Chinese medicine they said they have shen properties or they develop aura or help you to develop an aura. That's intrinsic to reishi and chaga, especially wild. This is something that I would say is not true of magic mushrooms, which can, can under wrong circumstance, poke holes in your aura and disturb your aura.
0: So, all right, before I go, I, I, I got it. I'm still blown away that there's silver in this.
1: Mu- is, it, is there any other mushroom you're aware of that has silver in it? No, no. Reishi is unique in that regard, at least of what we've tested. And it's just a, such a shocker. you know. And I do want to mention, this isn't this is a momentum-based phenomenon. That like any food, not one food shapes the beach, but thousands of doses of, for example, reishi tea or chaga tea or combinations, I always put it together as combinations, it it changes your immune system so that you actually become immune. And and what I'm going to, I do want to bring this up. I brought this up in previous shows we've done. We have the technology to cure the common cold. We've had that for thousands of years. We, we actually know what it takes to build invincible immunity. And this category, which we call the super herbs, or, or my teacher, Sun Jing Park, taught me, the tonic herbs of them, the great fraction of them, at least 24 of them, are medicinal mushrooms. And you get using those. Remember, these are the, the king of the fungi right? and the queen of the fungi. And what that means is that lower... Uh, energy fungi, like candida, can't survive in the presence of reishi mushroom. Reishi's figured out how to take care of the lower uh, fungi, like yeasts, again, like candida. Because people ask me all the time, well, aren't medicinal mushrooms, isn't that bad for candida? Or if somebody has sugar problems, the answer is absolutely not. The bitter elements of reishi mushroom are absolutely destructive to candida. One of the best things you can bring against candida and other sugar over, you know, excess sugar related conditions that the human frame is often uh, accosted with.
0: So if you had like, say you had to decide these are the five mushrooms that I'm going to use in my seeking of of wellness and health. I already know you're going to say chaga and reishi what else would you add to that? And so how would you, how would you adjust them? Would it be dried powder in, in a capsule? Would it be tea? Would it be chomping
1: down on the dried body? What and how? I like all of the above. I, w- I would put cordyceps in there just because of its history and its effect on the lung receptors. This is a very important thing when we're dealing with respiratory viruses. You know, If, if we're to consider respiratory viruses a real thing, the ACE2 receptor is... Is basically per, is defended by cordyceps as astra, those two astragalus and cordyceps astragalus is a root not a mushroom but cordyceps is up there for lung and especially if you're an athlete or a weekend warrior you like hiking you like putting in the twenty miles cordyceps. Um, Other things that I put in that category, trimetes, the most common woodland mushroom in the world, that white stuff that grows on twigs on the ground. You can pick that stuff up and chew it. I chew it like chewing gum all the time. That's another one, even though it's so common and so basic, it's absolutely the pawn on the chessboard. It is the foot soldier key. That's another major one that would be in my my mix. And other ones would be, for example, I like Fomy's Fomentarius a lot, but that's more of like a male thing. That's like a rook on the board and it it has really strong moves but it's more male in energy it might not be more you know for the feminine in energy feminine might be something like a like a griffola um, or something like a later late which is you know very edible actually you can actually eat that one you could dry it and make a make a tea out of it and then there's ones like foliotas which are phenomenal that come out of birch and birch polypores another one see you Very quickly, you're trying to get me to five, and I'm going, oh, well, there's at least seven. Then then there's eight. (laughs) It goes like that because you want them all because they're so damn good. I just throw them all together in a tea. What's the best way to do it? Well, if you need something fast-acting and you travel a lot like I do, I always have them in tincture with me in alcohol because they're fast-acting and easy to, to have. They're easy to move from place to place with. Very concentrated in one place. Whereas I don't want to be carrying a whole suitcase full of of actual polypores, like the dried big mushrooms, like a big Reishi and a, a big Foamy's Fomentarius and a big Birch polypore. It takes up a lot of room. So when I'm making those at home, I have a big bowl, actually several of them, and I have them all piled in there, all wild ones from the forest. And then when I make something, I throw a bunch of all of it in there. You know, I'll throw a little Rishi, a little chaga, a little birch polypore, I'll throw a little Fomis Fomatarius in there, I'll throw Termites in there. And uh, it all started, by the way, and I know that sounds like a lot and complex, it all started with just one thing, which was for me, was Rishi. And then it went to Chaga. And once I had those two understood, then you go from there. And I'll tell you a story real quickly. I want to mention this. My friend Ron garden very famous herbalist from Los Angeles, he finally was able to see the head medical guy at the Shaolin Monastery. Now the Shaolin. Lineage, which we all remember, Crow. You may, and maybe Jason, you remember this too. From when we were kids, we watched David Carradine on Kung Fu, right? Oh, sure. You remember that show? And that was that was Shaolin. Shaolin essentially gave us the herbal system of Chinese medicine. It really comes from there. And he finally, Ron is finally meeting the medical director of the whole Shaolin dynasty, and he's expecting to go into his office and see. All different kinds of ginsengs and jars. You know, it looks like a holodeck on a, on the Star Trek Enterprise with all these embryos and all these things in there. Nope, nothing. No drawers full of herbs. Nothing in there. It's totally zen. It's just a white room with a table, a chair, and a shelf. On the shelf are two herbs, rishi and chaga. And when Ron came back and told me that, man, I was like, you got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Of all the things, that, th- that, that they had just basically chunked it down to those two things. And at that time, I'm really always on Ron's case about chaga. And he was always on my case about reishi. Well, after that incident, man, we, we flipped our stories. All of a sudden I was more into reishi than ever before. And he was more into chaga than ever before. These are the king and queens of all herbs. That's what really that means. That's how important they are. You
0: know, mushrooms are beyond mind blowing. You know, I'll, I'll share three things that I learned about mushrooms that blew my mind. And if I'm not mistaken, I'll end with cordyceps. Hope I have that right. It's a jungle version. I heard that you could take some kind of oyster mushroom, those white mushrooms, put them on an oil spill. The mushrooms would eat the oil spill. And then when it was all said and done, you could eat the oyster mushroom because it had converted all the toxins to neutral and the mushroom was again, the mushroom that blew my mind. When I was young, and you know where we grew up, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I was tripping my butt off one time on magic mushrooms, and you're tripping, and everything looks you know, as it does. But whenever I looked at gold, real gold, it glowed yellow green, like, like almost like it was an electric source that blew my mind. Lastly, the cordyceps, I think it's a version of cordyceps in the rainforest. Insects or ants will somehow get infected by the certain cordyceps, which will then take over its mind through the brain stem make the ant or insect go where it wants, it will die,
1: and then its body will be fertilizer for the mushroom that grows out of its head. All of that is right on course. That's right par for the course, actually. Let's talk about cordyceps for a moment because it is it is the highest-priced herb in the world of all. And the cordyceps sinensis, the one that's used in Chinese medicine— actually comes from a caterpillar that's infected with a fungi and the fungi does grow out of its third eye, literally right out of its forehead. And in the process kills the caterpillar and those, those are sitting on, on literally at the base of glaciers up high in the Himalayas. And people will crawl right across the ground at the foot of a glacier looking for those cordyceps because they're so valued and they're so powerful. Today, we'll take that same fungi, the Cordyceps sedensis fungi, and grow it on a, in a controlled medium. For example, it can be grown on rice, but the best ones, if you want to get the controlled grow, are grown on silkworms. And that's still pretty damn good, really good quality. That's not the only cordyceps that's edible. There's a cordyceps militaris that can be grown on ants that is very powerful. And there's at least 5,000 of them. How many of them are medicinal? I don't know, but there's quite a few of them that are. This other mushroom that you mentioned, which was the oyster mushroom, pleurotus is it just a favorite. It's one of the medicinal mushrooms that when you find them young enough in the forest, you can eat them. You can bring them home and you dice them up and you cook them up and you can get the medicine and its food value. So you, it's got a wonderful um, added benefit that you can eat it, right? It's not woody enough that it blocks you from eating it. There's another one that's in that group, um, Pleurotus dryannus, which is the dryad saddle, which is one of those that, you know, sometimes you photograph it and you see a spirit there. You know, I don't know how else to describe it. They called in the old days, they called it a dryad, a spirit of the forest. And it sits in the middle of a, it's almost got a trumpet like shape or a, or a cone type of shape, the way the mushroom grows. And in the middle of that, sometimes you can photograph it and you'll see that it has a glow there. Something's happening there that again, I, I think gave it the name dryad saddle, but when that one's young, it's, you can dice it up and you can eat it. And that's one I've actually seen growing right out the front door. Like you walk out the front door of my house and boom, it's growing right there. So that tells me something that's good food for me. Everything we need, by the way, as part of my philosophy is is always growing right around us. All the herbs we need are always right around us. Not that we should eat any dandelion coming out of the sidewalk or off the asphalt. But the idea is is that the things that grow around you are the medicines that you require.
0: Hmm. What's the... You know, the one you'd end up using in, uh, the mushroom, I can't think of the word It starts with a P, but you'd use it in like a spaghetti sauce. Can you recall the name of what I'm trying to remember?
1: It's a culinary mushroom. Yeah.
0: Um, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, um, it's got like a hood that goes down long and they're pretty expensive. God, I can't think of the names of them, but like I make a, I, I make like a world famous spaghetti sauce. It's all vegetarian and it, and it seems savory. When you eat it, but I have like a seven element one and a 12 element one, and you can go to the store and there's really, I can't think of the name. Um, it sounds like a, a, it sounds like a opera singer's name. I can't think of the name of, it. it starts with a P, but they're really expensive. So you never buy them, but now you can go get the dried ones cause they're broken. And so that in the 12 element spaghetti sauce, I'd get three or four really expensive, well, relatively expensive mushrooms to put in there. But I, I wish I could, I'll have to look it up and ask you, because I wanted to ask if there was medicinal value
1: to the ones that we just use in our food commonly. I, I'm thinking of uh, the loop titties or it's it's something like that. It's it's a culinary mushroom used commonly in Italy. It's really quite good actually, and used in spaghetti sauces. That's one that comes to mind. There's also, of course, button mushrooms, the kind that we always had on pizza growing up, which actually do have very interesting anti-estrogenic medicinal qualities. And we could say that is also true of new, there's numerous secondary activity of many just culinary mushrooms, morels, good for the brain. That, that's one morel, chanterelle, and the chanterelle.
0: other. P- the P1 Ch- is a long mushroom, but I can't, I'm
1: trying to search it. I can't find it. There's yeah, a, quite a few really good culinary mushrooms, like black trumpets we love a lot, boletes we eat every day, pretty much when the season is on. That has a foamy, when you look underneath side, it has a foamy bottom instead of a gild bottom. Still has that umbrella shape, but it's foamy on the bottom. Now, of course, there's a, there's a toxic bolete, and it's the one when you score it, it turns blue. That's the one you don't eat. And there's these little things, that go on with the culinary mushrooms, but I do want to mention that the culinary mushrooms are not devoid of medicinal properties. They're not as strong as the medicinal mushrooms, but they do have properties, and we like to eat them every day. Late summer, going into into the autumn, it's it's really a, a wonderful hobby. But again, you got to know what you're doing. You can't just go out there and just pick anything. You got to okay, figure out this one. Then you, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I know what that one is now, and then you you figure them out from there. The, the main thing I want to say about medicinal mushrooms is is that if we want to modulate our immunity for life for a lifetime, we've got to start with what we understand at that moment. Now I started with capsules in a health food store, where a friend of mine cornered me and he's like, "You got to reishi mushrooms, the greatest thing ever. You got to take this." And finally, I was like, "Dude, I got a flight to catch." I, you know, this is like twenty years ago, and I was like, "I got to go." You know, he was, he cornered me for two hours, and oh, porcinis. That's the one I can remember. The one. Oh, God, Porcinis when they're on. We have Porcinis that grow right around my house. So Come we on, occasionally, and, man, it is really something because they're they look st- like an elf house.
0: Yeah, they're so good flavored. But w- this is what I noticed. Like One time I bought them brand new, which is hard to do because they don't last that long, um, and I was so impressed that I started getting the dried ones. But there are some that I know have been dried over a year. I reconstitute them in not boiling water, but maybe hot water would be a good way to describe it. And that juice tastes as if you were getting it from a fresh mushroom. But then once the dried meat comes plump again, it tastes just like a mushroom. And that's how I got. So I use morel. The other one I said in Porcini are the three that I use to get the stock from and then dice up the rehydrated body. Is there any medicinal benefit to that? Yes, absolutely. Chantrell I
1: mean, was- being Ch- the other. Chantrelle is another great one. Let's just start with chantrells. Chantrelle's have a, a pigment system that is identical to vegetables. So the yellow color that you see in there, or orange really, is that the yellow orange is beta carotene. It's that they have carotenoids in them, and therefore their coloring system and pigmentation system really orients them to going very well with vegetables. And so they're an excellent source of antioxidants. Um, When you get to Porcini's, you're, you're looking at secondary medicinal properties on those. And right off the top of my head, I can't remember what they are, but with morels, there's definitely been a connection with brain nutrients, not as strong as lion's mane. Now, lion's mane is a medicinal tree mushroom, typically grows on beech, sometimes grows on oak, at least in the areas where I found it, and sometimes grows on poplar. I've also found it growing on poplar. That is a, a, a spongy type of mushroom that you can dice up and cook up, but has very strong research on its nerve growth factors, the heresines and aranacines, which are getting popularity now, and especially with the microdosing community, that's always asking me, "What you know? I want to microdose. What should I do?" Well, you—if sh- you're going to do any kind of quote-unquote magic mushroom, always use a medicinal mushroom with it. If you want my professional advice, because again, magic mushrooms can poke holes in your aura. And so you always want to have a reishi there, a lion's mane there. You want to have a chaga there, something that's going to shield that, that trouble, the troubling aspect of it. Just I wanted to interject that. So the, that's another really good culinary mushroom, by the way, is lion's mane, even though almost always it's spoken of in, in its medicinal context and would be great to add to your, to your sauce, your spaghetti sauce there, crow.
0: Well, I, you know, the more you get into it, you begin to realize, and, and I had no idea that when I saw the dried ones that were much cheaper bundled together, it would typically be Porcini's alone, Chanterelle's Morels, and there's another one that I, I don't remember because I don't use it much. Those were all together. And what I found was, is if you take dried Chanterelle's Morels and Porcini and you make The two that I said go together, not the porcini. You make that stock all together, then make the porcini separate and then integrate them into the sauce separately. It's really quite something special. And not only that, it adds a, for people who don't want to eat meat, it gives a really kind of hearty, savory flavor. But again, there's no meat. Of course, I guess that could be argued with your definition as possibly mushrooms being animal. Which I'm wondering if all the vegans are going to jump in and chime in and say that's it. I'm not eating mushrooms anymore. But um, someone must have this classified. How is it typically classified? Do you it's know? It's typically
1: or- classified that that mushrooms, you know, in the evolutionary tree, which I don't agree with or buy into, but it's typically classified that mushrooms separated off at the sea cucumber stage.
0: Well, it would be it would be a shame if we got the vegans to walk away from it with what we've said. Yes, um, mushrooms are so special. So let's go ahead for the first hour. A lot of people are going to be interested in more information on the magic mushrooms. I think in my life I did it three, four, five times, but it was so intense. Um, at times, because what back in, back in those days, and you know, the days I'm talking about, nobody knew anything about dosing. You do one or two, nothing had happened. So next time you do a whole bunch more and then bang, you know, you're, you're off to the races. Um, but it's quite intense. And I would imagine that for a lot of people, if you don't have the correct mindset that you would probably have a nightmare of a time taking magic mushrooms. But you see, my wife grew up in a place where they could go out into the cow fields and a certain kind would be growing right out of the cow poop everywhere. And they used to just harvest them fresh. Where I was in Southern California, all I ever remember seeing is the dried one that had like blue striations in it. But it's intense. It's otherworldly. And what I remember most about the whole entire thing is, well, one time being able to hear colors, and the other time seeing gold, everything looked like it does, but gold just looked otherworldly, glowing green. Let's get into taking mushrooms. And I should add, a lot of people, and we just had Amanda Volmer on, who also is giving information about microdosing, which is really not about getting high per se. Let's get into these things because microdosing is becoming very popular.
1: And yes. I think it's actually legalized in some places. It is in Oregon it's it's legal and and companies are developing products right now. I've been given numerous versions of these products. Again, I'm not a microdoser and I do want to put that perspective in is that it doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for me. I I get nauseous from it. I can't actually if I'm going to do it I have to do a full dose and I don't really want to do a full dose because I've had my my fun. With magic mushrooms, and I, it's enough. I've had enough good times, and I'm okay with my experiences. So, <laughs> Me too. Me too. It's <laughs> so it's, it's quite a ride. You're not getting off till it's over. <laughs> till it's over, exactly. And and you know, I'm happy for those moments, and uh, and you know, they're in the past. But anyway, one of the things that's important to understand about psilocybin and the discoveries of these magic mushrooms is that they do have nerve growth factors, and they can help with PTSD, and they can help you regrow connections in your brain. And this has been a real I think, driving factor in the development of microdosing. The typical, what's called the Paul Stamets stack, and we probably have heard that name before because he's a very well-known, world-renowned mycologist, is you're going to have, say, a tenth of a gram of psilocybin mushrooms. And that's a typical microdose. Uh, one gram, you start to have some psychoactive effects Two grams, you're like, oh, I'm tripping now. Five grams, you're tripping out for hardcore, right? That's so what, what's just, the micro then? It's a tenth of a gram. So you're not buzzing at all, right? You shouldn't be. It depends on the person, though. It depends on the person. Some people go, I'm feeling that. and you, Then they have to go a twentieth of a gram for that person. It's it, One size never fits all in anything. For
0: what effect, though? So if people are going to microdose, and we just had Amanda Vollmer touch on it briefly, why would someone bother to microdose? What are they
1: trying to accomplish? What they're trying to do is they're trying to regrow connections in their brain and heighten their focus and their... Uh, cognitive ability. And there's no question that that is a side effect. If you get the right dose for you and it agrees with you, you will have better focus and better cognitive ability. So many, many people in Silicon Valley, for example, all microdosers, because I know a lot of those people and they all microdose all the time, but it helps them with their work. If you have to do a lot of technical work, if you have to do a lot of meetings, if you have to pay attention for long hours, it's a it's a it's a possible medicine for you. Now, typically, what's recommended is not just the psilocybin, but what's added to it is a little bit of niacin. So sometimes fifty milligrams or hundred milligrams of niacin, which drives the capillary dilation, again improving um, cognition. Unbuffered niacin, right? Meaning that it has to be the flushing kind.
0: So people that don't understand, if you go get buffered niacin, you won't get the hot flash. Um, when I first took it a long time ago for health, the first hot flash I got scared me because I didn't expect it. But what I found was if you drink a lot of water with it and you do it once or twice, you, you get used to it pretty quick. But let me point out, Amanda Vollmer said exactly what David Avocado Wolf just said about microdosing psilocybin. I call it psilocybin. Um, psilocybin. <laughs>
1: and so that's two people who know some things saying the exact same thing then i would add a third ingredient which in paul Stamitz's work he he always adds in lion's mane and lion's mane because it has great nerve growth factors the heresines and erinacines those are phenomenal things but from a larger perspective energetically the reason why you're going to use a lion's mane or a reishi or a chaga and reishi by the way also does have some neurologically um, supportive chemistry just like lion's mane does good for nerve, nerve growth factors but you're trying to get something that's going to essentially protect your auric field. People who trip out all the time, they tend to have holes in their auric field. I don't know a better way to describe it. Maybe, Jason, you have a better way of describing it, or Crow, you have a better way of describing it. But that's how I look at it. We need something in there that's of a higher grade. It's of a higher consciousness, for lack of a better term, a Rishi or a Chaga or a lion's Maid, in order to prevent that from occurring so you don't get burnt out. You don't get disturbed or energetically off balance from, from micro Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, when back
0: in the day and I, you know, like I said, nobody had any idea of dosage and I'm almost certain there were probably different kinds of things because I remember things looking a little different. We didn't know anything back in those days, but when you went off to the rise off to the races, you were doing it for a day, you know, and even when that's over, you may not sleep well that night, and you may not feel all the way back to level for a day or two. That's what I remember. Yeah, that's, the hangover. That's- yeah, that's not Mike. yeah, and it is a hangover. It's, um, and I was going to get back to the micro dosing, which this is not what we're talking about. Micro dosing is not tripping balls, which is what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but micro dosing also, I mean, what about for like people with depression and things like that? Is that what microdosing is being aimed at as well?
1: Yes, it is. And it's very effective. And I've seen that In people, So it's not just anecdotal for me, you know, there's research for sure, but I've seen in my own experience that it's very good for people with depression. Not everybody. Again, it's not good for me. It it actually has kind of an opposite effect on me. This is true of all herbalism. When we talk about the great 70 tonic herbs of the world or super herbs of the world, they're dual directional. They generally modulate, you know, if you're, if you're too far depressed, it's going to bring you back to happiness. If you're too like manically happy, it's going to bring you back to balance. The Quality, though, is not always true in every single person because everybody's different. And so, for me, it has a tendency to just drive me into nausea and kind of just I don't feel good. And I do want to again put that perspective out there because it just one thing does not work for everybody, but you might find that it does work for you and is actually a great benefactor in your life. And that's why we have it out there as a choice. So, before I get Jason back in here, who's
0: protected his aura, I would imagine. There's got to be a lot of different mushroom types with psilocybin because you always like, if you do an internet search, one of the first ones you see is the big red one, mind you, Santa Claus. And a lot of people have connections there, the red one with the white on it. But the ones that I saw look like stunted porcinis uh, and some of them had blue striations. They were pretty much white or off white once dried. And there might've been some blue striations, but the ones I saw pictures of the ones my wife would collect in the part of the country she grew up in and they didn't look anything like the dried ones we were getting though they were fresh so what is it is there a whole litany of psilocybin mushrooms are those red ones even in the same ballpark as what we were taking in the late 70s
1: early 80s no the there are well there are a litany of psilocybin containing mushrooms and yes And generally grouped in the psilocybin group. But there's also the really wonderful, there's a whole other group of them that I really like better, actually, which is Paniolus, which contains psilocybin, but generally considered another genus. And uh, Paniolus tends to be a little bit softer on my system. It's more of a tropical type of magic mushroom, but again, has that property. I mean, if you score it, they're blue. Psilocin is blue. It's a blue pigment. It's one of the rare blue pigments in all of nature. And that's when you when you see that blue striation, you're usually it indicates a magic mushroom. Again, with like a bolete, you can score it; it'll score blue. Those are the non edible ones. No psilocybin is in that. Psilocybin and psilocin are related. When you take psilocybin and you oxidize it, turns to psilocin, which is the psychoactive actual precursor. That's the immediate precursor that causes the psychoactive phenomenon. The amanitas, the amanita. Um, muscaria the amanita pantherina though the yellow one and the red one with the polka dots those actually work off of another principle called ibotenic acid which can be converted under certain frequencies of uv light into muscamol which is the psychoactive ingredient There, very tricky because those can be toxic and they have to be Everybody has their little formula for detoxifying those things. You know, for example, I'll take them, I'll flip them over in trees and hang them like ornaments and let the sun and that UV from the sun convert that ibotenic acid to muscomol. But there's another side toxin there. It's usually used to kill flies. That's why they're sometimes called fly agarics. You make a tea out of them. You use them to spray flies in your house that kills flies. I will then take that and then I will tee it up, pour the water off, then re-dry them. Again, that's my technique for dealing with those types of mushrooms. Um, the Again, the uh, amanitas, the amanita pantherina and the amanita muscaria, the polka dot mushrooms that we all know from Santa Claus lore and we all know from the far north elf and, and uh, reindeer worlds of, of the uh, circumpolar region of the world.
0: We'll get back in here, Jason, but I would suffice it to say that we would probably be astonished if we had any true record of the medicinal and other spiritual uses that mushrooms as a family have played in our lives. But jump back in, Jason.
1: You mean like mana from heaven?
0: know i've i've seen so many claims on what mana from heaven is and i actually just read one from the christian mystics so um it goes on and on some will tell you no it's this and others will tell you no it's an allegory um hard to know what's what but common sense does tend to shine a little bit
1: so can we talk about in detail what they actually do to you when you take them what does it do to the brain what does it do to the body all that kind of thing Sure. I mean, that's such a great subject. Nobody really knows for sure, but we have different theories. One of the things that, let's just get to psilocybin because it's, you know, so commonly used in microdosing or for tripping. And one of the things that's happening there is it's displacing your own neurotransmitter chemistry with its own mind, basically, right? The psilocybin and psilocin and other neurotransmitters like serotonin that are found in all psychoactive mushrooms in the psilocybin group and in the paniolus group, they interfere and they they actually meld you meld minds with their mind and this this brings to light something that everybody who's tripped has really had to wrestle with which is you come into contact with another form of intelligence and it's not a human intelligence and that is such an interesting thing to me that was always the driving reason why I would ever take those things. Um, when I was a kid, I was always like, what kind of information is there? What is going on there? You know, And we do now understand that it's because the neurotransmitter chemistry, not only of the magic mushrooms, but of mushrooms in general, interacts with our own. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of ch- opt and choose for reishi and chaga today, because I kind of like to tune into that chemistry rather than, say, the overt psychoactive stuff that's going on.
0: It reminds me of that old Miyazaki movie where they have the spirit of the forest. That's when you, cause you do, you tap into something that after the fact you can't put in a box, you can't really define it in some way that's satisfying, but you know, it happened. And it always reminded me the first time I saw that old princess Mononoke. I think it is the old, the old Miyazaki movie. They have the spirit of the forest in there. Yes, Uh, that's that's right. Yeah, that's how I relate, because it is. It's like the spirit of nature or something
1: like that. You know, this brings up something I wanted to mention that very rarely is ever discussed. It, it just was a passion for me to investigate psychoactive plants as a kid, and it just has stayed with me over the years. But one of the more psychoactive substances that's in our culture is LSD. LSD is, a, is a, it's an extraction from a magic mushroom, an ergot fungus that is a rust fungus that hits wheat. And so people think it's a synthetic thing made in a lab. It isn't. It's actually, you can arrive at it from two different directions. You can arrive at it from Woodrose seeds or um, Morning Glory seeds, and that's where you get the LSA, or you can get the LSA from the ergot. And then you, you take that and you tweak it, which it, Essentially, instead of being LSA one amine, you turn into a diamine. You add another amine onto it. That's LSD diamine, and that's how you end up with a super homeopathic psychoactive substance, namely LSD. So, I wanted to put that out there. That really, what LSD is, is it's a designer magic mushroom. That's so. Just so we don't get confused that like Shit. a human being can develop a sy- entirely synthetic thing.
0: Yeah, but didn't they t- didn't they get to the point where they were totally synthesizing like there were so many different kinds of LSD, I, you know, even George Harrison, whoever whatever that whole narrative is, was saying um, oh, there was all these spotty kids and we looked at it under a microscope it looked like twisted ropes or something and then we never took it anymore, but I was under the impression that during that period of sex drugs love that some of the LSD had become into being totally synthetic. Is that not true at all? That's not true. That, I have
1: never wow. found evidence of that. Yeah. You have to have there's got to be the starting backbone structure coming from either a mushroom, ergot, or it would come from Woodrose, which is a basically a offshoot of morning glory, or it would come from morning glories themselves, the seeds of Woodrose or the seeds of morning glories. That's your starting LSA material, and then you convert it over from there. Now they're different in subtle qualities for sure. If it's made from ergot, it's different than if it comes from a flowering plant in, its, in the subtlety of its nature, for those of you who are psychonauts out there. So
0: you're basically pointing out that a morning glory, which is one of the most beautiful of flowers, is used commonly. Does that mean I could go take a passion
1: flower and start the process from that basis? Well, a passion flower is different. A passion flower does have psychoactive compounds in it like nervines and and there's a uh, what is the other thing in passion flower? It has MAO inhibitors actually in passion flour. So you could use it to potentiate a morning glory experience for sure, especially if that was in alcohol. If your passion flower extract was in alcohol, it could potentiate a morning glory seed experience, which is how they did it in Mexico. So let's take us back to Mexico thousand years ago. They were creating psychoactive um, breads by cooking up morning glory seeds. Now the problem with, with wood Rose seeds and the problem with morning glory seeds is that they do also contain a lot of toxins in there with the LSA. And that's a problem because you're going to have a, a nauseous experience. And so then they had novel ways of trying to get rid of that toxin. And it's, it's the type of toxins like a strychnine type of compound that's in it. So, you know, you, you go from like having a psychoactive experience to being sick, You know, and then back and forth for like 14 hours. It's really not fun. Uh, But they had different little formulas in different cultures to detoxify those substances back then. But of course, Albert Hoffman comes along and just strips away everything else, all 100 other things that are in there with the ergotomy and just isolates to LSA and then from there flips it over to LSD. So again, a magic mushroom extract comes from the mushroom kingdom. I just wanted to interject that in there because a big, big part of our it's a terrible word, evolution, because it has the Darwinian component to it, which I can't stand. But it, the big part of our human spiritual evolution, maybe is a better way of saying it, has to do with these mushrooms either overtly or, or covertly. And my, my recommendation is, is go to the medicinal mushrooms because that's really going to get you where you want to get to. And to tune into the vibration of the polypores in your local ecosystem, like we're over, I happen to be in Northern California at the moment, and we went hiking up here in Marin County and on old oaks that are collapsed, there's huge amounts of Tremedes, and we've been drinking Tremedes tea. And what a beautiful thing to have that interaction with your environment. What a beautiful thing to know that this is the best thing I can give my body for my immune system. And then you tune in subtly to what it is, what the organism is doing, what its role is in nature, how important it is. And by the way, just on Tremetis, I do want to mention that it is the source. This is a free resource everywhere you go. You cannot not find Tremetis in every ecosystem on earth, but it is sold as the number one cancer medicine in the world, polysaccharide K or Hmm. Crespin or Crestin. You can get it for free. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, we got to wrap
0: up our one, but we're going to pick up with this thing. I'm going to lay on you right now. And you can think about it. You and I grew up in a place where there was another psychoactive plant growing. Uh, I think it's, if, if I had to guess, I'd say it's the biggest flower, um, in the East County of San Diego that grows wild, Oh yeah. Uh, very particular smell. My father called it Jimson weed, but I think, you know, what I'm getting at. From the time when I was like five years old, and I first saw that big bellflower, and you grab a leaf, that smell is indescribable. You know instantly there's something about this plant. What would you say the proper name of that plant is? That's datura,
1: datura inoxia.
0: Okay, specific one that we grew. Is it
1: commonly jimson? Is that really commonly called that? Jimson weed is actually correct, and that it is commonly called that.
0: All right, we're going to pick up with that when we come back, but it's really quite astonishing when you're in a chaparral in East County, San Diego, and you're in that right season where things are blooming and coming to life. It's almost unreal the night and day between high summer and this period of time I'm speaking of, and you come across these bell flowers; It just takes your breath away. And when you go up and say, oh, i bet you that's a beautiful flower I can smell. You realize from the smell of that plant, there's something going on there, but we'll pick up with commonly called Jimson weed. Uh, which we grew up with naturally growing in our environment when I was young.
1: David, before we sign off, let's get your contact info out there. Okay, well, you can always track me down. My favorite social media is Telegram. Telegram Messenger, t.me forward slash David Avocado Wolf. You can find me on Telegram Messenger, completely uncensored. I'm on the censorship media too, which is like Instagram, David Avocado Wolf on Instagram, and David Avocado Wolf on Facebook. But I don't put my best stuff there, no way, because I don't want to be censored and deal with their nonsense. But I also have a position on Gab. David Wolf on Gab. And I've also have a position on parlor, which is kind of a lame site, but whatever avocado wolf on, on parlor. <laughs> and, uh, and that, but my main output really is, is telegram. That's the most fun because it's uncensored. So I can just say whatever the hell I want. And uh, I've never been a, a fan of somebody infringing on my free speech. So there you go. So that does bring our one of episode, I'm going to say it, 311 to a close,
0: join us on the other side at crow, 7 radio.com that's C R R O W seven, seven, seven radio.com. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy and higher minded new era. We will of course be delving much further into mushrooms in hour two. There it is, man. Cheers.